Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good to see you. And if you are comfortable and uh, are so moved, you can remove your mask now, if that will make you more comfortable. And uh, if you still feel safe doing that, we'd love for you to feel the freedom to do that. Um, I want to share something with you. Uh, A couple months back, the Lord kind of stirred something in my heart, and I took it to our elder team, and they were in agreement, Uh, and that is that we need to call our church into a season of prayer. And we we talked a little bit about what that would look like and and how to do that, Um, and we wanted to do it in a multifaceted way. Um, And so we're going to do kind of a church-wide campaign leading uh, all of us, uh, one, to to think about prayer, uh, the power of prayer, how it connects us to God. We're going to talk about some of the very basics of prayer. And uh, we're going to do it across the board in in age groups. Michelle is working with River Kids um, right now, team, to start putting that together. Actually, she's, I don't think she's sent it out to the team yet, but she's been working behind the scenes. I'm going to be working with our new student ministry team to do this. We're just going to kind of do it across the board. We're going to be asking all of our groups, our Bible study groups, our soap groups, our small groups, for all of our groups to join in this. And there's a resource. But before I go on talking any further, I want you to watch this quick video uh, with us. It'll help you a, a little more. going to be utilizing a resource uh, for small groups uh, called 40 Days of Prayer, and uh, Pastor Rick Warren is going to be leading the video sessions. Those videos are actually going to be on YouTube so that uh, whether you're doing a group live, maybe in your home, some of your small groups I know are still meeting, uh, or whether you're going to lead one virtually. I know we've got some groups that are meeting virtually. Um, No matter which pathway you take, uh, it's going to be easy to access it. Everyone who uh, wants to participate in the full measure of this will receive a small group guide that looks looks just like this. I start to say a little bit like this. This is it. Um, it. Not only will it have all of the sessions for small groups. There's a daily uh, kind of a prayer journal that's tied to a devotional passage of Scripture that everyone will be working through together, and we're just going to move through this together. We're going to take the months of October and November and just move into prayer. I can't think of uh, another time in my lifetime anyway when we need, as God's people, to seek Him in prayer. 
And sometimes that means like um, the, the, the great coach Vince Lombardi used to do with his professional football players. He'd take a football at the beginning of every season and say, men, this is a football. And go back over the basics. We're going we're gonna to start with some of the basics and move into prayer. But then we're going to pray some too. We're going to just devote ourselves to prayer. I've asked Dean to stay here because he's coordinating our small groups. Is that correct, Dean? Who, <laughs> who do you want involved, Dean? Dean wants everyone. Come on. There we go. <laughs> Dean wants everyone involved. I will translate. He'll move his lips and I'll read them. We, we want all of our, just all of our adults involved at, at every level, our children's ministry, our students' ministry. We're just, we're going to do this together. I want you to see the face. There's his email, dnfinger at riverbluff.org. We would like to start some more groups. Dean, would you like to start some more groups? Just <laughs> Dean would love to start some more groups. He would love to help you do that. So email him. He won't be silent. He will respond <laughs> and let you know how excited he is about that. Dean, thank you, brother. God bless you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to know that some things never change in, in the church world. There's always technical difficulties that we just have fun with and delight in. And, uh, you know, one of the things that that always does is it keeps us humble. It reminds us that we're not in charge of anything. Um, that the Lord is, and, uh, and we're going to continue to let him uh, be in charge uh, in, in all ways. Uh, I, I hope and pray that you will make the decision. Just begin praying about this, but that I'm, I'm hoping you'll make the decision to, to participate um, in our, our season of prayer uh, for, for really about two months. Uh, not, not just growing in it personally, but doing it corporately. Uh, maybe joining us, uh, we're doing a midweek um, church-wide online prayer time. Maybe you'll step into that with us. Uh, we'll just see what the Lord does. There may be more opportunities for us to, to come together in, in prayer. Now, one of the reasons that I think is probably uh, the greatest catalyst to get people praying is when something bad happens to them. I think that's when a lot of people, you know, a lot of us will just coast through until we hit a bump. And then, man, when that strikes us, we just, we, we start looking to God in prayer. And the truth is, bad things are going to happen to all of us. And I, I'm one of those people, I'm, I'm convinced that there are, there are three things. This is just me. Okay, uh, maybe it'll help you. But there are basically three things that I think of that I can do. There may be more, but these are the three that I, I think of uh, that I can do when something bad happens in, in my life. I could let it destroy me. I could just roll over and say, okay, just you, I give, you win. I could let that happen. Or I, I could let it define me. I can say, yeah, that's just... It's who I am. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I won't amount to anything. Or I can let it develop me. I can let it transform me. I can let it shape me into the, the, the image of God's beloved son, Jesus. And I want to talk about that today. Just how do you face 
uh, something when, when it feels like everything is just kind of going wrong around you. And so I've titled today's message, Loving God with All Your Mind in a World That's Gone Mad. Do you kind of feel like the world around you has just kind of come off the axis, you know, it's spun off, and I, 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 I have. And because of that, I want us to think today a little bit of, uh, about this, because Jesus tells us that even when that's going on, even when that, that's happening, for those of us who are his followers, we can choose to live in the kingdom of God now. We don't have to wait for heaven. Jesus, when he was here and began his ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is what? At hand. You can step into kingdom living now. You can live life God's way now. There was a, a moment in Jesus' ministry when a lawyer, there were many moments where uh, these guys, religious rulers and leaders, uh, teachers of the law, would try to trap Jesus. And in Matthew 22, one tried to trap Jesus by asking what he thought was like, you know, the unanswerable question. He said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your what? With your mind, all, all of your mind. This is the greatest, it's the first commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love God with, with everything about us. Even our minds, when they feel like they're on overload. The Lord has been kind of pressing me into this message for, for a few weeks, but there, were, there was a catalyst. There were actually two uh, things that God used as a catalyst that said, pull the trigger now. The first one was, um, do, do any of you know who Eric Metaxas is? Eric Metaxas. Um, I've commended some of his writings to people. Uh, one that many recognize, he wrote um, a, a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I highly recommend it to you. Devoted follower of Jesus. Brilliant guy. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he was leaving the White House with a group of people. A lot of people were leaving. Some of you read some about this. Some different people were attacked, kind of, and harassed. And, and Eric Metaxas was one of those. And this guy on a bicycle would ride almost right up on them and then jerk, kind of like he was playing chicken, and jerk out of the way. And um, he did it a couple of times. And uh, Eric Metaxas was with his wife. He was also walking with... Um, a pastor who was walking with a cane, and um, at some point, and this guy would come by and holler horrible insults at them, and at one point, Metaxas just punched him, just punched the guy. Now, sometimes your pastor walks in the flesh, and I went, yes, uh, just <laughs> sorry, confessing it, um, he was just in that moment of frustration. But this, and he has said this, this was so out of his character, so out of the character of who he is. It just, it's not in his nature to, to, to do that. But something just kind of snapped in him. The other catalyst for me, the Lord just saying, pull the trigger on this message now was, I read the CDC's August report um, and on their August report, it was specifically about mental health, substance abuse, and suicidal ideation in COVID-19 world. 
And in that report, it said one of every four, okay? One of every four 18 to 29-year-old in the last six months had had entertained very serious ideations about suicide. One in every four. Our world is just kind of coming apart at the scene. It's just... It's coming unraveled in so many ways. And and so I want us to think about this today. I want us to think about it really deeply today. And uh, we're going to go to God's word and look at it. We're going to be in um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. But before we go there, I've, I've asked Cindy Shirley. Cindy, if you would start making your way down here. I've asked Cindy Shirley if she would join me. Uh, here on stage, and I, I want to talk with her a little bit. For those of you that don't know Cindy, Cindy, um, uh, she wears lots of hats around here, but one of the hats that she wears, her primary hat, is she is the director of, um, of our counseling center, uh, and she does that very, very faithfully, and so she, she has a team that she gives leadership to. Dean, Dean's on that team. He serves as uh, kind of in pastoral counseling, and uh, Cindy, if you would have a seat, I just want to talk for a little bit um, because Cindy has shared some things uh, that she's been experiencing, and I just thought it would be good for all of us to kind of hear this. Cindy, uh, I don't know all the questions that I'm going to going to come out of this, but I do know there's one big one that I just wanted to, to start with, and, and it may be it. Could, could you just share a little bit of some of the things that you have already shared with me um, about what you're experiencing as a counselor kind of across the board with clients that you see and, um, and even just in interactions that you're having with us, the world, uh, as you walk through it. And, and maybe how the Lord is encouraging you to step into that with people a little bit. Can you just kind of share some of that? Absolutely. Uh, let me start with just kind of the level of change that we've experienced over this year. Uh, when I think about the abnormalities of this year, it's kind of mind-blowing to think of all that we've gone through. In July, CNN wrote an article, and the title was, 2020 has changed everything, and it's only half over. And I think that's a real accurate uh, way to describe this year. Even now, we still have almost four more months, and we have an election coming up. And so the amount of change that we've experienced has really impacted all of us. Every year, typically, there's a few really big changes that go on, but this year, it's been astronomical, the amount that we have had to adjust to the things going on around us. It's almost like there's been a paradigm shift. Joe, did you watch the series Lost? Yeah. Do you remember in the series when they had that big cog wheel and you turned the cog wheel and it was like instantly everything changed? Absolutely. That's really how we would describe this year is that in a, in a very short period of time, just about everything has changed so much. We didn't even know what we would need. And I'm not talking about toilet paper. I'm talking about emotionally. We, went, we didn't know how we were going to adjust. I got kind of emotional about that, just so you know. <laughs> just saying. You know, there were multiple levels of change that we had to adjust to and disruptions in just about everything. I remember going to the store to buy something, and it was like 7 o'clock, and they were closing. And so then I went to Walmart, and it was 8 o'clock, and they were closing. And I was like, when did this happen? 
You know, and it's just the unfamiliar that we're going through. And so what has been normal has, has changed. Our sense of normal has been disrupted. Our sense of safety and security, our sense of stability, our sense of uh, everything that we have considered to be what's gonna happen in the near future, or what's mm. gonna happen a long time from now. We just don't have the same level of kind of faith in that in this world. Uh, and that's not just because of the impact of the virus. And it doesn't take into account the racial tension that we've been experiencing and what became a real crisis in our country with the death and the murder of George Floyd. Um, we have an election coming up and the polarization of people and their opinions and everything from the pandemic to race and the elections, it's all resulted in a sense of collective disunity in America. And we see that coming up in the lives of the people that we're working with in the center. That is affecting them. And they're being affected by even Facebook posts. I can't tell you how many people have talked to me about what they're seeing on Facebook and not knowing how they're supposed to respond as a Christian. And all of that has had an incredible toll on our emotional and our mental well-being. Mm. Um, while we can't say that all of it is because of the pandemic, the pandemic is really the one thing that has been so pervasive across the world that nobody can say that they're not affected by it. So a couple of weeks back, I wrote something on the realm about seeing just a sense of weariness in people. And um, I read an article uh, that said in March, about 32% of adults in the United States uh, reported that their mental health had been negatively impacted due to worry and stress. Uh, by July, that percentage increased to 58%. Based on some of the conversations that I've been having with people over the past months, I would say that that percentage is closer to 100%. Mm. I talked about how I saw it in people who struggle with anxiety first, and then I saw it in people who just have struggles in their life, and then I saw it in really high-functioning people. And when I saw it there, I just, I really began kind of talking pervasively about it wherever I was, and really hearing people say, yes, that is, that, that's good to remember, that we're just all very weary. I don't think we can understand how much we relied on the normal routines and experiences mm. that we, we could count on every single day for stability. Uh, there's been an overabundance of unfamiliar situations in a short period of time. My husband and I were in Harris Teeter one day in March and just doing some normal shopping and all of a sudden it was like there were masses of people and I, I kept looking around saying, where did all these people come from? The lines were way down, all the way down at the end. And finally somebody said, the governor just shut the schools. And I was like, oh my goodness. I just didn't see that one coming. You know, we've had school shutdowns, businesses shutdowns, wearing masks and the adjustment to that, toilet paper shortages, having to wait in lines, to get, even to get into stores, social distancing, sheltering in place, new terminology that we haven't even considered in the past. Virus testing, quarantines, and the toll of the virus on the economy and jobs, all of that, the massive stimulus spending. And how about the devastating effect on small businesses? We've had to deal with all of that stress. The learning curve of virtual. I mean, virtual everything, it took me several days just to 
get the protocol in place for us to move from in-person to, to virtual sessions. And then once we decided we were going to see people in person again, we had to have a whole new set of protocol in place. And so everything that we did in paper form had to now be done electronically. And that was a massive undertaking, and that's happened for all of us. Doing virtual from home if we're doing business from home. And that learning curve has just, it hasn't escaped one level. Kids are affected by it with school. We're affected by it in just socialization. We're affected by it with business, in doctor's visits, and everything. And there's just not much that hasn't gone virtual, and probably we're going to stay partially virtual, and so there's going to be an ongoing adjustment to that. Massive riots. We've dealt with massive riots, even here in Charleston. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have guessed that, given how well Charleston handled the Emanuel Nine and the murder of Walter Scott. But it's affected us. This year literally changed the world as we know it, and we're yet to discover what the new normal is going to be. In fact, the new normal that everybody talks about just keeps changing. I think it's probably going to change 67 times before we settle into what is a new routine. And because our world is never again going to be the same, we're all in some sense, we have some sense of loss and in a state of grief. If you lost a loved one, and some of our folks in this church have lost multiple family members, or you lost employment, during this pandemic, it might be more straightforward for you to understand how much loss there's been and to recognize it. But uh, I remember when you talked about grief a while back, you talked about making a list of the losses. And if we made a list, we've lost the opportunity to physically gather. And I think that really affected a lot of us, especially in the beginning. Whether it's in churches or groups or in meetings, we've, we've gotten some of that back, but even that, doesn't necessarily feel normal because things are changing so much. We've also lost so many of our previous life rhythms, school and work rhythms. Uh, what we do after the service on Sunday, I've heard people talking about that. They just don't do the same things and it's everybody's kind of out of sync because of that. Our relational rhythms, our daytime rhythms, our evening rhythms. We've lost a sense of safety in the world. We've lost physical touch. Even if you live with other people, the amount of physical touch that you get has been minimized. We've lost hopes and dreams for what's going to happen in the upcoming years. We've lost many of the activities that we used to enjoy. My husband and I love to go to movies, and we were just dying for the movie theaters to open up. And don't you know, they kind of opened up last. We go there now, and last night there were four people in the whole theater. And it's just all very different. We've lost um, a sense of normalcy. We've lost a sense of control in a lot of ways. We've lost the feeling of being out in the world without needing to be con constantly vigilant and about catching a disease we can't see. And because we're grappling with loss, we're all in grief. I don't know many people who haven't had also during this time increased anxiety. Uh, and from all that we've gone through, uh, in these past several months, 
You know, at first, we, we immediately saw anxiety in our clients who struggle with anxiety. But they have really strong coping skills. They've been taught how to deal with it. And so once we kind of normalized that they were feeling anxiety and we got them focused again on what are their triggers, what are their coping skills, how do they calm themselves down, they kind of became stable. And then there was a whole new group of people that became anxious who don't deal with anxiety on a, on a normal basis and they don't have as many coping skills. And so we went from kind of like our really uh, anxious clients being the ones who wanted to see us to a whole new group of people saying, I got to get in and I got to get in as quickly as possible, even if it's on virtual. And so um, if you know anything about anxiety, you know that there's a physical response. Anxiety is a physical response to fear. And throughout this season, there have been so many, I think what we could call real fears of things that are going on, but there have also been so many perceived fears and trumped up fears and fake news that's going out there and how that affects us and it's been so easy to get our fear activated. And the problem with anxiety is that it's progressive. And this season has included so many situations and changes that our bodies and minds have really not had a chance to calm down or rest. We just go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And it can almost put us in a constant state, state of anxiety that feels a little bit like PTSD. And I don't know if PTSD would be the best way to describe it, but I think there's going to be a new diagnosis in the DSM once we get through this, and it's going to be something like pandemic acute stress syndrome. So they're just going to call it PASS. You have PASS. Because it's going to affect some people for an, for an ongoing period of time. There are a number of symptoms that people can experience from acute stress. Um, invasive thoughts, nightmares. I've had clients telling me about dreams that they're having that they don't know how to explain. And that's the part of all of this is that things are happening that they don't know how to explain and they're trying to figure it out. And we don't really consider the toll that everything is having on us. We can have a persistent sense of uneasiness, just walking into situations, not knowing what to expect. My sister went to a wedding and she's a person who would be called vulnerable. And she said, I didn't know whether anybody else was gonna be wearing a mask, but I knew I had to. She was the only person at the whole wedding that wore a mask. She said, I was a little bit embarrassed. I said, but you're healthy today, right? And she said, yep, it was worth it. But I had to go through that experience of being embarrassed. Um, hypervigilance is something that we can also experience and trouble concentrating. How many people have had COVID fog? I mean, my brain has been foggy from time to time. Uh, because anxiety is also um, is on the increase, we've also seen an increase of depression and, as you talked about, Joe, suicidal ideation. In fact, in, in, since March, there's been a 400% increase in testing for depression because so many people are just, like I said, becoming weary and it gets so overwhelming. And um, depression has been, one of the great contributors has been loneliness and isolation. And we've all in some ways, been in isolation. And you know, you can experience loneliness and isolation even when you're in a house full of people. And I think that's been true for some people. So there's been this in collective increase of negative coping mechanisms for most of America. So you've heard of the freshman 15? Well, they're now talking about the COVID 20. Not just 19, but 20 pounds because people are coping 
with comfort foods. And how many of us have started coping with comfort foods, you know? Um, but there's also an increase, right, in drug use in, and abuse, in alcohol use and abuse, in tobacco use, that's gone up. Uh, media use and abuse has gone up. Um, everything like that, the ways that we're trying to cope. A lot of times people couldn't get to the gym and so they didn't have their traditional coping mechanisms and so we found other coping mechanisms. You know, the reality is no matter what level you were functioning in 2020, it's safe to say that there is something that is more difficult for you in this year. Uh, nobody has said 2020 has made life easier. Everybody has said 2020 in some ways has made life harder. Um, there's been an increase of general agitation in people, and that's really what I see first. People will walk in and they'll say, I don't understand it, I just, I'm constantly agitated, I'm on edge, I, I just can't deal with it anymore. And you know what, it's not the virus or all the other stuff going on, it's their normal day-to-day -day things. And so what they find is that they just, they're, they're used to being able to handle something. And then all of a sudden, it hits them during this time, and they can't handle it. And they're like, what is wrong with me? And when we normalize that and say, everybody's experiencing mm. that, that's one of the fallouts of all that we've been going through. They're like, okay, now I can take a little bit of a breath. So I haven't had much good news to say here. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. That's the reality of this year. But there have been good things that have happened. You know, we've gotten to spend more time with our family, and for most of us, that's a really good experience. I have the opportunity to do a virtual group with my two sisters who live at opposite ends of the country, which has been a fabulous experience. And I think all of us uh, can look at this year, and even though there have been a lot of grim things that have happened, that we, we can focus on the good. The real question is, what can we do during this time to make life better? Mm. Amen. And I'm actually not going to be the one to answer that question because <laughs> I got to before we talked about me answering this question. And before we, we uh, did this in preparation, Joe sent me his notes. And so on what, Friday, I called him and said, hey, Joe, you know how we talked about that? Everything that you've got written down is exactly what we've been telling our clients. And so I don't have to say it because you're already going to tell us. Yeah, one of the things that we have joked about sometimes because humor is best, or truth is best hidden in humor. Um, so if you're familiar with the term EGR, raise your hand, okay? We, we, we talk about people being EGRs, yeah. the extra grace required. And normally we'll say something like, every small group has an EGR. If you don't know who that person is in your group, probably you, right. you know, kind of That's thing. Right. We make fun of that. Would you say that right now everybody we meet is an EGR? Absolutely. Okay. And, you know, as I have talked to people, that's the one thing that I would say, I say first, is that what we need is to extend extra grace to everybody. Okay. Because we don't know all that they're affected by. Amen. You know, Amen. we don't know what they're dealing with otherwise in their life and what stress this has added okay. to it. So, yeah, extra grace for everybody. Thank you, Cindy, so very much for sharing what you're, what you're sensing. God bless you. Y'all, thank, thank Cindy, if you would. I, I wanted you to hear what is practically uh, being experienced by people. Um, one, so that you could say, I'm, I'm not out there by myself. This is a, a, our whole culture. 
our whole world is experiencing all of these things, these emotions, because we've all experienced some level of loss. And it, it weighs on, on our souls. It, it, it just, it, it, it's heavy on us. And I want us to look uh, at a passage of Scripture from the life of a man that the Bible describes him. He was a man after God's own heart. Who was that? King David. I want us to look at a, a, a moment, a season from his life where he was experiencing incredible loss. And what did he do with it? How did he walk through that loss? So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to 2 Samuel chapter, uh, I think I said 12. Um, that's where I'm heading. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're going to be starting reading together in verse 16, and I'm going to read through verse 24. David sought God on behalf of the child. David had a child that was born, immediately uh, became ill. And the Bible says David sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay um, on, on the ground all night. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not. Nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him. He did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, The child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that his child was dead. And David said to the servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, he washed and he anointed himself and he changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was yet alive, but when the child died, you arose and and ate food. David's answer was, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I I go? Can I bring him back? Shall I I go to him? I shall not go to him, but he uh, he will not return to me. Then David, the Bible says in verse 24, comforted his wife Bathsheba. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what do we see David doing? Did David let this loss destroy him? Did David let the loss define him? Or did David let this loss do something different? Kind of develop some things in him. Uh, I believe he chose the path of letting God use this to, to develop him. And there are, there are seven or eight things. We're going to cover real quickly seven things that David did. There's an eighth one that I'm assigning as homework. I'll tell you what that one is when we get to it. Um, but David, David is having to set his mind in the right place. What, it, what he's doing really is he's loving God with his mind. He's, he's focusing his mind. Romans chapter 8, Paul tells the church uh, at, at Rome, he said, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. It, it's just, it, it'll kill you. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. So we've got to kind of engage in these mind-setting activities, mind-setting engagement. Seven things, real quickly, that I want to give you that I see David doing that helped him deal with loss. The first one is this. you got to keep connected. This is a great challenge in this day, staying connected with one another. It's a challenge. It's not impossible. It can be done. Do you have to work harder at it? Yes, you do. But you've got to keep connected. Look at uh, verses 16 to 17. It says, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Look at this. And the elders of his house stood beside him. Now, these weren't the servants. These were the elders of his house. These could have been, that, that word that's used there for elder could mean some of his older brothers. It could also mean some elders, some other leaders in the nation. Maybe it was like his cabinet that was around him. You know, the secretary of this. and the, these, were, these were people in David's life that were important to him. And he, he remember, David's the king. David could have said, get out of here. But, but David didn't do that. Da- David, he, 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 kept, he kept connected. He allowed them to, to stay because he knew that in the middle of his sorrow and his loss, he needed connection. He needed that kind of uh, strength uh, uh, around him. And you and I need this. We've got to, to stay connected. The second thing that I see David doing is that I need to do when everything is kind of falling apart and I'm experiencing loss is I need to embrace what I can't change. I need to embrace what I can't change. Now, eventually, we know in the story that the child dies. And some of the servants asked the king about his sudden change of behavior. Look at verse 22 and 23. While the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. Uh, for I said, for who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child might live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? David is saying, I've got to embrace what I can't change. You know, one of the first things that happens to people when they experience bad news, they experience, you know, something of loss, the first is disbelief. Our minds choose to reject it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want the world to be that way. So we just kind of go in disbelief. Sometimes it's because it's so shocking and you just say, I can't believe it. That's impossible. I, 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 that couldn't have happened. You ever been around someone when that's kind of been their situation with something so just horrible took place? Our minds reject that news. It's kind of a first reaction, first typical reaction. But slowly, we start to return to understand what reality is, and we can't deny it anymore. And when this embracing begins to happen, when, when I begin to pull myself into that reality, see, the clarifying question that really led David to begin embracing this was he asked this question can I bring him back again can I bring him back again and the answer was no and what David was doing in that moment was he was embracing what he couldn't change now now let me ask you this when you embrace what you can't change does that mean you stop caring do you think David stopped caring for that, that child? 
it doesn't mean you stop caring. When you embrace what you can't change, does it mean you stop hurting? You'll continue to hurt. Does, does embracing what you can't change mean that you start thinking, well, that, that was good? No, you don't. Just because you embrace what you can't change doesn't mean you start thinking that that was a good thing. It simply means I understand I cannot change this. So here's a big question personally. What, what's going on in your life right now that you just need to say, I can't change this? I, I, I don't have the strength. I don't have the capacity. I can't change. What do you need to embrace in your life right now? What do you need to release maybe? Maybe, maybe it's a job. A, a career path and maybe you were heading down this way and you don't have that anymore and you need to to let that go to move on to something else maybe it's a relationship maybe someone you were dating or something and you you know you keep thinking they're gonna call they're gonna call and they're not gonna call and you know it but you need to to embrace it Maybe right now you need to embrace the season that we're in. Maybe you're still in denial. Maybe you're still trying to kick against it. Maybe, maybe you're in the season of life and your kids have moved out and you're starting to think for the first time they don't need me and that's just breaking your heart because you have lived your whole life being needed by them and they're, they're moving on and they're not calling like they used to or coming by and and maybe you, maybe you need to embrace that. See, David experienced this catastrophic loss, but he was able to begin to embrace this, which allowed him to do the next thing that we need to do, and it's this. David, even though he didn't know about the fullness of the gospel yet, David put his whole hope in the gospel. After he embraced what he couldn't change, he, he turned his hope in somewhere else. See, when something bad is happening to you, one of the things that you need to embrace about the gospel is the gospel's ending, the end of the story of the gospel. Because in the end, God fixes all of this. God takes your worst nightmare and he turns it into something glorious for you to see. You can't see it now. That's okay, but you put your hope in the fullness of the gospel. David was experiencing this incredible loss, but he didn't give up hope. Look what he said. David declares this about his son. I shall go to him, but he'll not return to me. David knew, David understood. You read some of the Psalms that David wrote. David had a a, a vision for eternity. He knew that he was eternal. He knew that this day, though this baby's death separated them, it was not the end of the story. See, King David lived 3,000 years before Jesus came bringing the gospel, and yet he was able to see this. On the night before Jesus was betrayed and crucified, he said many things to his disciples. One of the things that he said in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John is this. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again. I'm going to receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you will be also. 
Friends, this is not the end of the story. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Praise God. He's coming back for you if you're in Christ because he loves you. That's his promise. You've got to embrace the whole gospel beginning to end when you're facing incredible loss. And being able to do that gave David the strength to kind of do the, 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 the fourth thing that he did that I see, and it was this. He, he was able to then practice self-care. When you're experiencing loss in a world that's gone mad, one of the last things you think about doing is taking care of yourself. But David did this, and it, it may sound like a strange one, but I believe it's very important in the middle of mayhem. Look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. Then David arose from the earth, and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. Now, some of you are saying, well, that, what's the big deal about that? He got up from the ground. I mean, he had been seven days laying prostrate on, on, on the ground. He took a shower. It says he anointed himself. He put on some, 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 some body armor or something like some, some lotion or something like that. He changed his clothes. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's just, I do that every day. Well, sometimes when people are stuck in great loss, they don't. They start having thoughts of the the depression that Cindy was talking about sets in. And they stop doing some of those daily hygiene things. Why get dressed? Why take a shower? Why brush my teeth? Why get up? I mean, people, people stay stuck there. Uh, they, they, they can't move through. Things like sleep become challenged. Some people sleep way too much. Some people can't sleep at all. Doing stuff like exercising, eating well sounds, sounds ridiculous. P- people experiencing deep loss, like, like Cindy talked about, it, it, it can be paralyzing. It, 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 it overwhelms us. King David gives us a concrete pathway that we can see how to begin to, to come out of that. He kept connected. He embraced what he couldn't change. He stepped into the whole story of the gospel. He put his hope there. And then he made this decision, I'm going to live. Was he still in the tension of of mourning? He was, but he started taking care of himself physically. I love that line that says, so he arose from the earth. He, he, He got up. It's just a great word picture. Because it tells me that though the struggle had knocked him down, he was getting up. He started this journey back towards living. You know, there are a lot of people that when they got stuck in quarantine, you've read some of it, they they quit showering. They quit brushing their teeth. I mean, just, see, it... What happens is your brain gets a signal, basically, you know, it's, it's just, I'm down. Well, David's brain signaled him, and I believe it was because he put his hope back in the whole gospel story. David's brain signaled him, okay, you're down, but you're not out. Get up. And guess what David did when he got up? First thing he did after he kind of regathered himself, the Bible says this was the fifth thing. This mindsetting engagement, he went and worshiped the Lord. 
you got to go worship the Lord. you got to refocus your mind on to God. Verse 20 again, then David arose from the earth, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. God will help you do this. Even when you don't feel like the joy is there, you feel like the strength is gone, there was another psalmist. Uh, he wrote the, the Psalm 73. You'll see his name throughout the book of Psalms. It's Asaph. And in Psalm 73, it begins like this. God is indeed good to Israel, to those who have pure hearts. But I had nearly lost confidence. My faith was almost gone. And then uh, the, the, much of Psalm 73 goes on to, to describe why he, he felt like his faith was leaving him. But then it goes on to tell us in verse, in verse 16 and 17, I tried to understand all this. It was too hard for me to see it until I went to the temple of God. Asaph understood it. David understood it. I've, I've got to go worship the Lord because he knew that in worship, he would begin to get a glimpse. Cindy talked about the fog that settled in. One of the things that lifts that fog of depression, of defeat, you know, Satan comes, the Bible says, to kill and steal and destroy. He puts this fog over us, and he tempts us in that fog to turn away from God because we can't, we can't see anything. What lifts that fog is worship. Coming to a God who says he'll never abandon you, even in your anger or your sorrow. The Bible says you can, you can worship him. That fog will start to lift. You can start engage life again. Which leads to the sixth engagement is this. David does this. He gets back to living. He gets back to living life. He goes back to doing some of the things he he had been doing. He started becoming productive again. See, when we hit kind of this paralysis and loss, we get stuck. And here's what we need to do. We need to start moving. How many of, uh, of you have ever, sin, sin confession time, how many of you have ever vegged out on the couch like a whole day? Just vegged out. Now, when I was younger, this didn't happen at the same level as it does now, but if I stay on the couch for a long period of time now, moving is more difficult. The longer you don't move, the harder it is to move. And you gotta start moving even in your morning, you gotta, you got to keep moving. It may be just a baby step. Take one step at a time. Man, I love this sequence in verse 20. David got up, he took a shower, he put on lotion, he got dressed, he went to worship, and now he has the strength to do what it says next at the end of verse 20. And then he went to his own house. Some translations say this. He returned to the what? Palace. The palace for David was not only where he lived, the palace was where David worked. David got up and went back to work. The palace was his place of productivity. He's basically going back to work. Now, if you read the narrative, the account, you see that this wasn't a real long time after his child died. So do you think that David was still sad? that he was still experiencing loss, that he was still grieving? Yes, he was doing all those things. Those things had not gone. But he started moving. Let Let me ask you kind of another big question here because what David was doing was he was just taking a step of faith. He didn't know what the next day was gonna hold, but he just started moving towards something. 
right now, what is the greatest fear that you're facing that's gripping your heart? What, what's, what's the greatest fear? Where do you need, where, where are you stuck? And where do you need to start moving? Where, where do you need to do that? Because until you answer that, you're, you're going to stay a little bit stuck. You're not going get, to get moving. And it's going to keep you from taking the, sec, the seventh. And, 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 and maybe last strategy here is this. And that's to love others even though you still suffer. Even though you're still in your suffering, choose to love others. And when you love others, you will serve them. You'll serve them. David did all those things in verse 20. You get to verse 21 through 23, and his servants, he even stops. And this is, where, this is your homework assignment, because this is all, that's a whole other message. But in verses 21 through 23, David stops to answer a theological question. He, he actually kind of shares the gospel his belief in the gospel with, with his servants. You might want to go back and read those verses and meditate. In fact, do this. If you do it, verses 21 through 23, and God gives you kind of an insight, I'd love for you to email me and share it. Just share it with me. I love hearing what, you, what God is speaking to you. But he's, he just stops, and he shares with his, his servants something. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and in verse 24, it said, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba he was still in his loss he was still struggling himself but he turns to love someone else in their loss friends we got to keep loving even in spite of, of pain our fleshly tendency is the moment we start to hurt is to withdraw to, to, to build walls around us and here's what we think if I can build this wall high enough I'll never get hurt again Especially if it's a relational hurt. I think I can keep myself free from pain. You know, I can, I'll just quit loving anyone or anything. And the truth is that will cut you off from some pain, but it'll bring a whole new kind of pain, despair. Because when you feel unloved, you will drive, be driven into despair. So keep loving and keep serving. One of my favorite quotes of Mother Teresa is this. She said this, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. David decided that even in his pain, he was going to love, he was going to serve. And if you read the rest of the story, when David went in to serve his wife, there was a great blessing. Not only for David, not only for Bathsheba, but for the entire nation of Israel. Because he made the decision to love and serve somebody else, a child was born. His name was Solomon, one of the greatest leaders, the wisest man who ever lived. I mean, the book of Proverbs. And if you haven't read it lately, you should. And you ought to thank God that David went and loved and served. Because the book of Proverbs is phenomenal. You know, there was somebody else who understood what it was like to serve through pain. The Bible tells us that while enduring the pain of the cross, that Jesus was loving us and serving us. Jesus knew what it was like to keep loving and keep serving in the pain. Even the pain of rejection of those he was loving and those he was serving. 
the Apostle John wrote these words in 1 John 3, 16. We know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. So, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I imagine somewhere in this message, some of you may have had run to your mind the, the, the prayer of serenity. You know the serenity prayer? That one that starts out, you know, accept the things I can't change. Many, many people know what they think to be the serenity prayer. You know, God grant me the serenity to what? Accept the things I cannot change. Change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And most people think that's the prayer. It's not. I want to read the rest of the prayer to you. It says this. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting in your will, God, that your will made all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. That's the rest of the prayer. That's the the whole gospel. Now, if you've never opened your life to Jesus, you need to trust him with that life today. Whether you're in the house, whether you're online, all of us need to reinvest our trust in Jesus. We need to take our discouragement, our depression, our failure, our frustration. And if you've never done that for the very first time, the Bible says you can cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. You matter to him. And so you just go to Jesus wholeheartedly and you give him your life. Pray with me. Let's pray together. Jesus, in this moment, if you've never trusted him and want to do it now, just say these in your heart wholeheartedly. Just pray it to God. Jesus, in these moments, I open my life fully to you. I choose to put my whole trust in you. My failures, my my fears, my frustrations. Jesus, I surrender, I surrender my my self-dependence. Jesus, I surrender my sin. I surrender my, my sorrows. Jesus, I choose you. I choose you and your ways above my own. I choose you to save me even from myself and all of my stuff. I choose today, Jesus, to set my mind on you and your ways. It's in your name I pray. Amen. The Bible says, if you turn to Jesus, turn your life towards him, he will, he will give you life. Even even in the midst of your struggle, he will give you life. And because of that, you can worship him now. And so I want to ask you to stand, mask back up if you would, and join us in worshiping the one who can give us life and then give it to us again and give it to us again. Let's worship him now.
Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.